Our first sponsor of this episode is Coastal Leather Supply, created by leather crafters for leather crafters, supplying premium leather tools and all your other leather working needs. Specialise in vegetable tan leather such as Buttero, Pueblo and many others. They ship internationally and are trusted in the Australian and New Zealand leather working community. Visit coastalleathersupply.com.au Welcome back to episode 23 of the Joseph M. Leather Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Nabil from Orange Leather Goods. Nabil is from Ottawa, Canada and handcrafts wallets, pen cases, briefcases, belts and others. His work exemplifies luxury leather goods. Welcome, Nabil. Thanks for having me, Joseph. No, that's, that's all good. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I, uh, I'm a recent graduate of mechanical engineering uh, here in Ottawa, Canada. Started leather work, I guess it's been maybe three or four years ago. Um, I come from sort of a, I guess, a, a background of, of liking to work with my hands. Uh, originally, I was a sewer. Uh, I used to work for a tailor here locally, um, doing a lot of uh, um, hand sewing and uh, and alteration work for the the military, um, and then I think similar to a lot of a lot of other people, I got into leather work kind of. I wouldn't say out of necessity, but there was you know something comes up and you don't have it and you want to make it, so you try to make it, and then then you realize that it's it's pretty fun, and uh, next thing you know you're you're blowing a bunch of money on tools and uh, things are spiraling out of control. Yeah. That's that's basically uh, how that started. And so, how long ago was that when you got into? Actually, no, I'll go back to tailoring because I've been fascinated by tailoring, and I, I, yeah. I think, um, just I think there was a period where I, I was looking, you know, looking into clothing, looking into like doing a tailor's course, but uh, mm-hmm. there's just there's just not many around anymore, especially you know. No, like, definitely not where I live. I think I did see this one guy talking about one YouTuber talking about um come do like a tailor course in like Italy or whatever. That was like mm. I think um but so what was it about tailoring? It was just the the clothing or? um well, I guess I guess that really started when uh when I first moved to Ottawa. Um and it was kind of at a period in my life where I was realizing that I didn't really like the clothes that I was wearing and I couldn't find stuff that I really liked um, until I, I stumbled across a, a shop here in Ottawa called Ragtime Vintage Clothing, which, which as the name indicates, they, they sell vintage clothing. And, uh, and I was just amazed that, that like, it was night and day in terms of quality that you would see in yeah. in in garments, you know, that were made from the 50s or 60s, and uh, just the workmanship and the material was so much different. So I really liked the stuff they were selling and uh, started to buy quite a lot of it. And stuff. So the, the issue with that is that um, when you're buying stuff that's essentially secondhand, you have basically no choice in what size you're yeah. buying. So, like, if I was like, here, here's a pair of pants that you really like, um, but they're a size like way too big. So like, what do you do? You have to sort of, you have to do something with them. So I, I started like disassembling uh, clothes and, and um, learning basically how to do really, really simple alterations. 
um, getting stuff to actually fit and uh, um, a lot of a lot of things I ruined and a lot of things turned out really good and I sort of just um, figured my way around uh, clothing that way over over a couple of years and uh, and I guess eventually to, to start you know knocking on the doors of, of other tailors here in the city saying like uh, you know here's my work um, can I have a job because I was in university I didn't I didn't like I needed some sort of income in the summer and stuff so uh, eventually after getting I, I actually got laughed at by, by quite a lot of uh, older ladies that worked in these in these little shops um, so they, they sort of laughed me out the door and then eventually one one person decided to, to try and um, hire me to work there and uh, he seemed to like my work and, uh, and that was basically it I ended up working there for uh, pretty much until COVID I would work there summers um, he would have uh, he would have sort of um, a seasonal contract with the, uh, the ceremonial guards here in, in Ottawa. I don't know if you if you're familiar. They're like these uh, they wear these these red coats and the big oh, bears the, the mount- big bearskin caps. Like the mount the mountain mountaineers, whatever they're called. Uh, well, there's there's the RCMP and then there's the ceremonial guards. So they they actually have them at, at like Buckingham Palace in the UK. Oh, okay. Yeah. They come. I'll have them in Canada uh, as well. Yeah, there uh, there's some for the Governor General, and then there's uh, I think there's there's like two divisions, but basically they they parade around the city, and uh, every, every year we have like uh, 400 of these uniforms that need to be altered, and so that's that's yeah. what I was yeah. doing. What are they called? What are they? Uh, ceremonial guards. Yeah, because that's the thing. Because I I love the. Uh... When I've seen films that are made in like the 1940s, hmm. it's like you go to the train station, everyone's wearing like suits. It's like, oh, yeah. I wish like you could just, I wish it, that was like, that's what it, I wish that's what it was, that's what it was like today. But um, yeah, it was it was an amazing time for for tailors because I mean, it was kind of just uh, it was it was the standard. It was accepted that you know you wore a suit every day and. Uh, Generally, they were made to measure or uh, or bespoke or whatever. Um, it wasn't too much of a big deal back then. Yeah, and that's one of the things as well. Because um, I've gone to vintage shops, and you're like, oh, you know, I'd like to get you know a jacket or whatever. But like the the fit back in the 1940s is so much different to to now. Like a lot yeah. of their clothes was baggy, yeah. um, whereas now like suits are more. You you have to be more fitted. Like it has to be more fitted to you. They're yeah, they're pretty slim today. the The waist is cut very low in yeah. uh, suits. Um, sleeves tend to be shorter. Jackets are shorter. Um, everything seems to actually be less material. Funny enough, that's the downside to some of the vintage clothes because like you don't want to look like you're from the forties. If that makes sense, yeah. Like you yeah, want to yeah. you want to wear it, but you can't look like you've just you're from the nineteen forties in. Well, that was it's it's funny because I was actually very similar at one point when I when I first stumbled across um, vintage clothing, um, I was immediately drawn to to the suits, which were just like amazingly made, and and I ended up buying a lot of suits that were some of them were made here in Ottawa back in the the mid fifties and and early sixties, um, and I, I actually found a suit that was made on on Savile Row, uh, oh, wow. totally handmade, yeah, like. Every piece of it was hand stitched, and and I, I paid like one hundred and fifty dollars for it. 
but like I would I would take these apart and, and make them fit me the best that I could and I would I would wear them like daily I would I'd be that guy who was wearing the full uh, full 50s suit and, and hat and everything but uh, makes it a bit difficult to interact with people when you, when you look a certain way um, I will I will always appreciate the the, the fashion of that era and the, the clothing. Yeah, no, it's hard because like um, suits, like suits nowadays, they're they're a different. Um, like this, like if you wear a suit, it's sort of like, why are you wearing a suit for? Like that's what you yeah, do exactly. if you're serious. Whereas yeah. back in the day, it's like it's what you wear when you um, exactly you're leaving the house, you put your suit on. Yeah. Now it's like you yeah. just you just don't wear a tie, but it's like nah, ties. You have to wear a tie. Like if you, I don't like the uh, just the the just the unbuttoned with the jacket. It's, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah it's, it's unfinished. Yeah, yeah. You're um, halfway dressed. Yeah. Um, in regards to those vintage suits, like how much can you adjust them by? Because I remember I got my um I got my grandfather's suit, and that was just mm-hmm. like way that was just way too big yeah um, and i was like oh, i would like it'd There's... be good to take it to a tailor but i think like how much if you have a huge suit can mm-hmm. you just you can't obviously this some things you can't do like you, you can't yeah exactly there there's there's a lot of limitations um i'd say that in some cases i i have went too far but uh i think generally the the one metric that you that you really can't change is the chest size so okay I think as as long as your your chest and and shoulders, I mean shoulders, you can you can still adjust a little bit, but as long as those um, are your size, and I mean those are generally relatively standard sizes. So if you're a 38 and you have a 38 suit, but you know the waist is huge, or they're too long, or the sleeves are too long, or the body is too big, like you can you can change all all of that stuff. But as as long as that base. Um, size is correct then uh yeah then there's a lot you can do yeah what about pants would that just be um pants yeah there's there's certain sizes like like you can't like for me i was size 29 you know depending on where you're wearing them uh, size 29 waist and you couldn't really go from a 34 to a 29 I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really depends on how they're made but uh yeah You'll, you'll start to really throw the balance off the pants pretty quickly. Um, and also, like, you have pockets in the back which start to get closer to each other when you start taking them in. And, um, so there's you definitely have to, like, look for the right one that has the potential to actually fit properly. And yeah. I, I learned that the hard way, and I ended up with a lot of stuff that was just basically unwearable. Yeah. Um, but... Did you just, did you just YouTube how to alter clothing and just practice from that? Um, no, I I was actually I was at the time I was pretty stubborn and I was actually against basically any kind of internet education, which is very odd to say. Um, but uh, I I I had seen my I've seen my mom do it uh, in the past, like um, so I, I kind of knew generally where to start, but. Uh, I really wanted to figure things out by myself, which, yeah. which is the hard way. But I always felt like you know the hard way is the best way because you'll you'll really understand it by the time you're yeah. done. But, um, yeah. And so no no YouTube for that. Yeah, just reverse engineer. 
pretty much. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> it's well, I mean, the, the the clothing's there. It's 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 sort of an open book in a sense. You know, yeah. if you, you really want to get in there and see, uh, you just have to try and reproduce what you took apart. Um, yeah. Get a different size. So. Yeah. What what do you wear now? Because I guess I guess Canada would be a good place to wear vintage clothing, like vintage like jackets. I mean, coats and all that. Like um, overcoats. I, and... I guess so. I have I have tons of old coats, whether oh, it's leather jackets or, uh, yeah. or overcoats and stuff. Uh, I I tend not to dress as formal as I used to, but I um, like now I I wear I wear leather cowboy boots, um, and uh, generally I've been wearing jeans these days, uh, just because I don't have to go to the office anymore. Yeah. Does um, so, do you have a double-breasted overcoat? Yeah, I have, oh, uh, I have a few of them. I got a few. Yeah. The military used to have a lot of them, and, and I actually own a few um, from the military. The The only issue with that is that they tend to be a very um, obvious shade of green, which yeah. people tend to associate with, with that. But if, if you're actually looking for a double-breasted jacket and you want something that sort of blends in, um, you should look for either... Um, old fire departments or police uh, jackets yeah. and generally you can find some really really nice examples of of like super well made uh, overcoats yeah with with like really heavy wool and um, yeah, silver this... buttons if, if that's what you want yeah probably not the silver probably not the silver like the the metal buttons cuz then it yeah. ca- it kind of looks like it's used in a particular service like you know military yeah. or more of those, but I guess you could always take the buttons out anyway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Some people are willing to buy the buttons if they're uh, if they're um, collectible or valuable. Yeah. What? So, what year was that that you got into leatherwork? Um, it's hard to say at this point. I I feel like it was probably in like 2017. Yeah. Maybe uh maybe 2018 when I like sort of really uh wanted to. St- get better yeah um yeah because i i thought i'd ask you why did you choose the name orange leather goods um i i think i i was i was probably thinking too much about the name at the time yeah and then i realized that like who cares and i like the color orange and i i like oranges and it's just uh I just like sounded good together. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just gonna go with that. Stop thinking about it. Okay, no, that's cool. Well, I noticed that like with some of your, you, you tag like an orange emoji in your thing. Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. So, um, how cool. So, how did you like learn the, your skills though? Because your your Instagram is like from 2020, the first pitch you did. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I I didn't actually. Um, I never thought of ever starting a an Instagram account or or a website or anything. In terms of where I started, I think it was it was similar to how I learned how to sew. When it was kind of just uh, you see other work and you just do your best to to emulate it and you figure out different ways of doing that sort of along the way. Um, so. Uh, I guess the approach was find whatever is best or, you know, whatever, whatever is the gold standard, like always look at that as your, as your reference and always try to, um, 
essentially replicate that level of quality in the in the work that you do. Um, I'd say that's that's uh, it. It just slowly uh, progressed. Like if if it didn't look like what I was comparing it to, then I would I would you know continue to find ways to try and get it to look better. Yeah. So what was sort of the craftsman that you were sort of uh, aiming for, I guess? Um, I, I'd say in the very beginning, it was it was um, like you had talked about in previous episodes. Uh, just those those few uh, videos that uh, Charlie produced, which I guess was was with a few other people, but um, that that was kind of really what um, made it really clear. Yeah. Um, what uh, the sort of you know really high standards looks like, and it was you know overwhelmingly obvious that he used you know purpose-made tools that were you know of of a higher quality than anything you'd see in a in a hobby shop. Or so I, I it sort of opened my eyes to the uh, um, that sort of next level of of leatherwork. Yeah, and that was that was basically it. Then I started to just do some more research into it and. Uh, Eventually, when I got to Instagram, I, I started seeing people in Japan and Korea and uh, the U.S. and Europe, and it was just like mind-boggling some of the, the the levels of work that some people were doing. It was uh, yeah, it was uh, it it really pushes you to to want to get better because I mean ultimately that's that's sort of the the competition if if you want to look at it like that. Yeah, like because your your wallets that you do, they look very. Like a lot of the guys in Korea mm-hmm. make uh, like wallets like that, and it's just like, that that look. They have that look to it, and like they they're really striving for that neck, that really impeccable, like perfect stitching. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, when I when I initially saw some of this stuff. Um... I was convinced that it, it just wasn't possible. Like I, I was looking at an impossible object yeah. in, in some cases, and it was it was really it just amazed me. It's uh, it's it's cool to uh, um, it's cool to be stumped like that when when you're looking at something, and that's um, I guess partly what drove me to to want to figure it out because yeah, like it if it it looks fake, but it's not, and you want to figure out how they did it. And it's good because when you sort of have the, uh, the, 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 a lot of the skills down pat, like this little pen holder that you did, like, that's like, when I look at that, I just find that's just absolutely, like, just the, 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 the raised leather and the, yeah, it just adds a huge, like, you're almost, like, you're making, like, literally three-dimensional objects out of, leather yeah that was was a um it was a small nightmare um but i it was it was just one of those things that i i had thought up and uh generally when i when i'm sort of driven to do something i will i will look for ways of making it as hard as possible so i just sort of like threw all the all the difficult stuff into into one object and sort of um had a go at doing it yeah do you like fountain pens? Uh, I do. I used to use them uh, pretty much daily. I don't find myself writing very much anymore. But yeah. uh, I was um, 
I've always been interested by them. I, I'm not I'm not like an avid pen collector or uh, yeah um, or anything, but I, I I have some friends that are that are pretty into it, and that's that's kind of ultimately uh, where a lot of this stuff was going. And I, um, I I felt like it was it was a market that I I might be able to like insert myself in, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and there was some people that were interested, so I I just figured uh, why not. Yeah. Try the try the pen stuff because it's uh, it's a hobby that people like to. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a hobby where people enjoy you know high quality stuff. So yeah, kind of makes sense that if you're gonna have high quality pens, you should have uh, high quality cases or displays or whatever. Kind of like people that collect watches. You know, they gotta have a good watch band for your yeah for your watch. Yeah, well, I do. I do have a fountain pen. And uh, as you were saying that, it's like, it literally just sits in like this plastic tube because like, oh, I have no case for it at all. Um, you should have a go at making one. Yeah, uh, yeah when, you, when you said that. But yeah, I got this, um, it was actually from my uh, grandparents' house. It was, actually, it was actually my grandfather's. It was um, like, and mm-hmm. it, it wasn't working at all. It's like, it's a Parker pen. I think it's from the yeah, 1950s. Yeah, um, and it was missing like the arrow on the side and the tip and yeah anyway i picked it up this was after they both passed away and um like cleaning mm. out the house and anyway so i picked it up and i was thinking you know i'd like to make it work again and it sat on my bedside it sat on my um sat on my like shelf for ages with this other part um other pen that i have as well it's, it's actually an australian fountain pen anyway it sat, sat there for ages and ages and you know, I'd take it apart just to look at it. And then I remember one day I saw this YouTube video of this guy talking about how he repaired fountain pens. And yeah. I was like, oh, there's probably someone who does repairs fountain pens in Australia. And there was actually a guy in Melbourne and, like, contacted him and sent the pen over to him. And then he just, like, he fixed it up, put, like, the arrowhead on it, put the little tip on it. And um, mm. I asked him to put this silver thing, like, over it because it's, like, a shoot, like, a... Oh, yeah. And yeah, he cleaned it out and it works. Um, nice. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it was one of those things. It was good to, like you know, I could have just threw it out, or I could have just left it there. But um, yeah, the fact that the guy repaired it and it works again, it's good. But yeah, it literally just sits on my desk in, like a little the plastic tube that it, the guy gave me, and uh, it's like oh, well, I'd like it'll, to. It'll be, it'll be preserved. That's for sure. Yeah. So because. Because the thing with fountain pens, you can't lay them down flat. Is that correct? Uh, I I don't know. It, it, I am definitely no pen expert. Yeah. But, okay. uh, I I would assume that maybe some pens seal better than others, or uh, um, I'm not really sure. I, I'm sure if there's any pen people watching, they're going to be uh, freaking out. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not too sure. Actually, that was the next thing. So that. Pueblo, you like how you use it is absolutely amazing. It's um, and I've noticed as well, like the guys in in Asia, when they use it, they just make it look impeccable. Pretty much how how you how you do yours. Um, what's it like using Buttero on like a on one of those wallets compared to Pueblo? Like if you comparing um. the two. It's, uh, I, I think generally the, the difference is it's, uh, it's just stiffer. So yeah. the wallet ends up, 
itself being stiffer. There's, there's less like stretch in it. It doesn't fold as easy, um, which I suppose you could maybe uh, combat that if you um, uh, if you split the leather or if you get leather that's a little bit thinner. It might, it yeah. might help. So that's that's the, the main difference. Because uh, to make those wallets, you need to split the leather really, really thin because you're doing in like interior lining on a lot of, lot of the pieces because like when you make that wallet like how does it age over time being so thin um i haven't uh i haven't really tested them for for long periods like i have a wallet that i've been using for for many months now um it doesn't seem to have any issues with it yeah um but like the you i guess you just have to be careful where you're you're skiving it down like generally um what i've what i've noticed and, and i was seeing some people that were that were making wallets um and and you look at it and and, and you know in your mind you know there's there's like 10 layers here if yeah. you really like stack it all together um but like where does all that thickness go and and i i eventually just realized that they're uh um at the very edges of the wallet you can you can skive the pieces down to basically zero thickness at the very edge, um, but like just enough to, to hold the stitch in, and you can end up with the the very outer edge of the wallet being quite thin, but on the on the inside of the wallet, it, it still has all the layers and it's yeah. full thickness. Because it's it's so easy to just have a wallet that's you know basically a brick if if you're if yeah. you're not um, if you're not careful. So you really have to pick thicknesses right, and I think that's what um, gave me the most trouble, and probably the reason it took me so long to actually start making them. Yeah, because yeah, because I, I I like the the lot like interior lining as well. Like some people don't, some people do. Um, and yeah, when you're when you are when you want to line everything, it's a uh, mm-hmm. you know four pieces of leather. It's um you know that could and then you you fold it and that like comes. Like that, yeah. that, it doubles it, so it it you know can get really thick. Um, yeah, it definitely uh, is a uh, it's it's kind of exponential. Like if, if you raise the thickness of the overall leather in the wall, you end up you know just it gets uh, it gets yeah. crazy fast. Yeah, and that's what because that's what I like about the that's what I guess what's that's the hardest thing about the 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 bill fold is because you have that you have that back piece and then you have like another piece for the notes and then you have those other, yeah. like the, it's just, um, it's a real skill. I think the, the billfold, I think to, to make one of them like completely, yeah, there's, completely. There's a, there's a lot of parts. Yeah. Um, a bit about box stitching is yeah. a, how have you, like, is it easy to... Like, well, it is probably easy for you now, but... Um, I don't know about that. Because uh, there's different ways you can do it. Like, you can... Um, you can have your piece, and then you can skive it, and then it's sort of like... Yeah. Y- you don't have an edge on the... Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of cautious on doing that, because it's... Like, you have to be real, real precise with it. Um, yeah. Is it... Oh, yeah, box stitching... Yeah, like how do you how do you get the the do you have to use a curved needle or can you just use a straight needle because you sort of uh, no, I have to go I've always used the yeah I've, I've always used a straight needle um it is very difficult in some cases uh 
most of the things that I box stitch tend to have raised panels on them. Yeah. Which uh, actually tends to cause the needle to want to rub up against it just because of the angle that it's coming out, yeah. which tends to, to mark up the leather. Um, but I've, I've contemplated using using curved needles, but it's uh, I feel like handling them is could be a little more difficult. Um, so I, I kind of just found ways to um, do it as, as cleanly as possible. Yeah. Um, which kind of just comes from doing it a lot, I guess. You, you start to know, like, what bits you should, like, flex and how you should pull it out and what 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 looks like a wrong angle and what looks like a right angle. And, yeah. Um, I think one thing that sort of, like, how you have in... How do you put that panel in where you where it divides each of the pens? Um... So the uh, the tray is basically it's totally removable, so you can just like pull it out yeah. and so set the piece all together. Um, but basically, uh, how would I explain this in a in a way that makes sense over a over a phone call? Um, oh, that's fine. But it's 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 kind of like uh, I, I you can have a piece and then it, it folds in basically three places where and you have to like cut grooves to like fold the pieces. Like, a, imagine a long rectangular piece laid flat on your table. You can fold the two edges upwards to, like, make the walls, and you essentially just reproduce that piece, and you glue all the walls together. Um, and so you're, you're basically creating this long, like, chain of, of pieces that form all your walls, and then you just glue that entire thing down to a, a flat sheet, and then everything just sort of stands up. So you don't need to stitch it at all. It just, it's just glued. Uh, yeah, so it's it's all uh, it's all glued in place. The only wow. stitching I do is, is around is around yeah. the edge of it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a piece that really doesn't uh, it doesn't see any hard use. Um, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't get bent around and and by itself it's like you it's really surprising how how strong it is like yeah. uh, in in compression and like it, it doesn't move around. Um, yeah whatsoever so yeah um, no no issues with that so far yeah oh no that it, it just looks uh really impressive um is that sort of one thing you, you just want to continue making the pen cases that's your uh, sort of... I, I i really enjoy doing them yeah um I, I think they're my favorite things to make they they're also they're also the, some of the hardest things yeah. that i make but uh I, I would like to um, I would like to pursue those more. Uh, it's, it's, I guess especially because there's there's maybe not a lot of people doing it um, yeah. in general. I don't know of anybody uh, in Canada that's doing it. Um, so it's uh, I guess that's a unique I guess niche market you could say. Yeah, yeah. No, they, that's um, it's it's, it's really impressive. Um. Yeah, one thing I'm probably I would like to learn, but I've I've uh, I found that hard to find. I think I've only found that one place is accordion gussets. And like when I saw you actually when when I saw you when I was scrolling through your profile and I saw that you did that briefcase, I was like, wow! Like another person have have learned the the art of accordion gussets. Is like, is there a way to learn? Like, how did you? I'm just. Um, I I think I think I may have saw a picture. Um, 
of generally where you should fold uh, for yeah. for the gussets, um, and it's it turns out to be kind of simple. Uh, you can actually if if you just mess around with folding paper, um, you know, folding triangles and like and rectangles and stuff, you can um, you can eventually you know you'll, you'll you'll figure out how to how the gusset works pretty yeah. fast. Um, but mine mine are actually kind of not really the uh, they're not the standard way of making them. It's, it's kind of a the method I use tends to be an easier, less uh, luxury method, I guess, because generally when I uh, see people like Charlie making briefcases, I think he uses um, a solid, like, one-piece gusset. Like, it goes from from the top of one side all the way around and then up to the top, whereas minor minor three pieces. Oh, really? So, like, I, okay. I, I have two sides and then the back go together just like a, like a regular uh, gusset. So that stitching that you have down the bottom, that's the two pieces meet. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the one that I saw on this forum, it was one piece all the way around, mm-hmm. and like he, yeah, that's that's traditional. He like wet. I think he sort of like folded it. Like he shows pictures of how he does it, and like he folds mm-hmm. it all and like wet molds it. And um, what's the what's the thickness that you have to do for the gussets? Like, are they? You have like the main piece. Do the gussets so, gussets have to be thinner? Um, yeah, for for my briefcases, since since I'm using a three piece gusset, I actually just use the same thickness for everything. Um, also, it's just it's very costly to to stock different uh, as yeah. you know different weights and different colors of everything. It's just really impractical for somebody who's not uh, you know a full on business. But uh, for mine, they're all the same. I, I feel like if you did want to do a single piece gusset all the way around it would probably be advisable to use a lighter weight uh, for those parts yeah yeah i I haven't done it to really know but uh, that's that's what i would guess yeah um because the pieces do fold like that like like that does that make the the center like the bottom of the bag like if you open it up and put something in is that mm-hmm. makes the bottom all foldy, or is that just on the edges? It's like that. Uh, yeah. So there, there is uh, the folds run all the way down the the length of the briefcase. Oh yeah. So it it it's sort of like at the extremities of that compartment, it's like deeper, and the center is like taller. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for general like use, uh, it, it's not something you'd, that you'd really actually notice. Yeah. Okay. So. That... Like, that's the thing, like, these accordion gussets, they, like, play on my mind. So, are you, are you using a straight piece of leather for a gusset? Like, is it... Yeah, it's, it's just a rectangle. Okay, and then, when, so when it connects to the... Yeah, see, like... <laughs> so, if, if, if you... Uh... It's like, there's no YouTube video on it. It's like, someone do a YouTube video on it. No, that's... that's... That's true. Um, if you look at the patterns given in uh, in Valerie's book, um, yeah, you, you can you can essentially take those exact same gussets. There's basically no difference. Um, you can make them wider if you want to do like an accordion, and uh, all you really have to do is is draw fold lines on them and then channel groove those folds out of it, and then just compress it into the shape and and. And that's it. And it's it's all stitched together in exactly the same way. 
So it has the um because her ones goes like her gussets go like that. Wait. Yeah, they they have like tabs basically that yeah. come off. So you edge. you would still do them. Yeah, it's it's all the same. Okay. The sure. first briefcase I would like to make is the one that's in the book. Kind of like what, kind of like what we were talking about before, because it is the first like, because they provide a briefcase pattern as it is, and it would be good just to make what it would a briefcase would look like. Um, have you found, yeah. have you done like a single gusset around a briefcase? I've done it for uh, I've done it for one bag. Um, it's the uh, I think I called it the. The music bag, which oh, is yes, yes, all that. far down in my uh, yeah the... page. Um, I, I guess I, I technically have two music bags. There's one with uh, with that uh, rolled handle, and there's another darker, sort of purplish one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was that was the only one that I used a, a single gusset, and I, I generally don't do it because I'm I'm just too scared to do it. Yeah. And it's in it, and it's um like especially at the corners as well. Like you sort of have to try and flex the. Yeah, I, I just I I don't I'm I'm the kind of person that measures everything like really intensively. Um, yes. Yeah, and and I feel like when you when you make a gusset that has to meet at both ends of the briefcase, um, there's there's no really nice way of calculating that dimension. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. I, I I haven't done it to really find out, but uh, that that like putting it together and then having the the edges meet is uh, is the part that uh, I'm sort of apprehensive of. Like if you do a curve, I think that would be like even on this briefcase that has a curve. Maybe that would be easier to do a single gusset if it has a curve to go around. Yeah, as opposed well, to you, a square. If you go to uh, if you go to my page and you go. Pretty much down at the bottom. Uh, let me see where it is. It's it's like fifth fifth uh, row from the bottom, just before the other accordion uh, briefcase. It's kind of like a tote bag, I guess, but it has a it has a gusset oh, that runs yep, yeah, all the way around. And so I I determined that the the only way to really do that uh, without causing too much tension in those corners yeah. with, with doing a rounded edge. Yeah. Because the leather naturally doesn't want to bend like that, especially when you have those, uh, um, like the, the nature of the gusset, you have those little tabs that come off and, and they're vertical. And, you know, yeah. Generally, objects don't like to bend in that direction. What is, like, the history behind that music bag? Like I've never, I, I actually don't know, and I no. I've really tried research it, and I I I can't find anything about yeah. them. It's it's kind of a mystery. What's it like having that one handle? Uh it's, um, I guess from a from a pure physics point of view, the the bag does hang kind of uh, at a very slight angle. Yeah, um, it's it's very comfortable. It doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't touch your leg. Um, it hangs mostly in line just because the the handle does come off the top uh, a fair distance. But um, holding it is very comfortable. It's, it doesn't yeah. feel like doesn't feel strange. It doesn't look uh, strained or um, I don't know. It's something you kind of just have to yeah feel feel in person. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. But it's 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 not a bag that's really meant to carry a lot of stuff. Um, I'd say I probably could have made it even thinner than I than I did. Yeah. But, uh, was that for yourself? Um, I I just wanted to make one for the sake of making it. Um, yeah. That was that was basically it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, because that's the thing about briefcases because they require so much like leather. To yeah, to, it's to... a lot of leather. It's a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I, I find that generally people don't really go for, uh, at, at least maybe here in Canada, I don't know about other places, but people tend to not, they, they don't like drawing too much attention to themselves or, or having okay. things that look, you know, uh, opulent or uh, or extravagant or, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. So they're... they're I, I like to this day I haven't sold one. I still have every one that I've ever made. Um, yeah. Generally, it's just uh, um, I, I haven't really been able to get much interest in stuff like that. I think they're they're good display pieces though, because like if you see someone that could make that, you're like, wow, okay, they're actually a good. Yeah. So like if you um like well you know if you see someone make a briefcase, you're like, wow, okay, they have some really good leather skills. You. Mm-hmm. Could you can you use a shoulder for a briefcase or is it mainly you just using like the butt? Um, for for these ones, um, I used the side basically, which yeah. would be uh, um, I don't really know how you'd classify that as other than just the sides. Yeah, half of the back and then like toward the belly. Um, yeah. So, what items would you like to make in the future? Cause it feels like you, you've done um, like heaps of things already. Like I haven't even made a briefcase yet. Uh, well, I, I guess I mean, there's always make. I guess it's just a matter of finding something that I'm really interested in making. It's it's hard for me to, to make stuff that I yeah um, that I'm not super enthusiastic about. Uh, I I really want to make more pen cases, and I want to sort of explore that idea a bit more because there's there's a lot of variations that you can do on yeah. these. Uh, these sorts of things. Um, I definitely want to make more wallets because I, I feel like they're still not my, they're not my strong point and they, they tend to take me just way too long. Um, they're not your strong point. You've done like... <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so. Yeah. It's, I, I just, I, I don't feel like I, I grasp the process very well. Like, like I'm always sort of, I always find myself having to improvise because I, I, my, my method is just, you know, either doesn't work or it's not efficient or... Yeah. Um, so I, I haven't found a way that I'm... that feels, like, reproducible every time, and, and that that kind of bothers me. Oh, because it takes uh, way too long. Yeah, and, and, okay, and yeah. you're just, like, it's just prone to, to just weird problems that you would have never really yeah. thought about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you fold those pockets? Uh, the, the card slots? Yeah. No, those are, those are just cut edge. Okay, yeah. I've never, I've never done folded pockets, pockets, so. Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't done that either. Yeah. Um, do you, do you have a website? Because, yeah, that's one thing I didn't find on your, because you could have some good gallery pictures on your website. Yeah, I, I would like to, I don't have a website yet, um, 
it's uh, it's something that I have been thinking about more. And and I people message me asking me if I if I have a website. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I do not. Yeah. And um, I know it's a very cliche question. So if you could go back to when you first started, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Um, let's see. I guess it would be um, like the the main thing I think when approaching any craft I think is to always try and maintain a very very clear idea of what really good work looks like um, because if, if if you don't if you don't have an idea of, of what what the standards for high quality is and yeah. how are you going to really like, like you can't aim for it, and you also can't move in that direction. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that's that's really the the main thing. And and as long as you have a clear idea of of what you're trying to achieve, then you will yeah. you will inevitably, I think, you know, adjust the way you work and and manipulate things to try and get closer to that yeah that goal. Yeah. Our second sponsor of this episode is Artisan Sun. Artisan Sun leather care products were created for crafters in mind, not corporate greed. The son of all the artisans who came before him, Artisan Sun Australian premium wax-based products, handcrafted using all natural ingredients. Their top-selling product is their leather conditioner. Unlike other leather conditioners, Artisan Sun leather conditioner is wax-based, made the old-fashioned way to ensure your leathers stay looking good for generations to come. Artisan Sun also has its signature leather heritage oil, which is ideal for rehydrating dry leather and is an excellent tool for using pre and during leather dyeing. Got dirty leather? Artisan Sun also has a range of cleaning solutions, from genuine horsehair brushes to natural oil-free leather soap. Protecting metal from surface rust? Artisan Sun metal conditioner keeps metal protected from oxidation, all natural and petroleum-free. They also stock fabric wax, wood conditioner, and the Heritage Leather Care Kit, containing some of their well-known products to clean, hydrate, seal, and protect your leather goods. Check out their products, which have seen generations of use, at www.artisansun.com. Biggest challenge you faced? Um, biggest challenge? I, I feel like it's it's some of the most trivial stuff, like like thread size. And... <laughs> But there's, there's, it like, especially if you're, like, when I, when I started out, I really couldn't be spending, you know, money on stuff like this, and, and, and there's no way to, to test out what works unless you buy it. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really tough, um, to learn, uh, like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I'd say that was, that was definitely a challenge, uh, I mean, even even just stitch length, like stitch lengths, are also another thing that you can think a lot about. Yeah. Um, pattern making is another uh, another sort of hurdle that you have to get over if you really yeah. want to uh, make stuff. Actually, that was a huge thing for me um, as well. Uh, the the stitch length, like when I one other time when I first sort of drew on my process, like. I was thinking, I like the closest stitch together. I was like, how do I get the, like, what am I, what, what's the, uh, like, the, the length that I'm meant to use, what pricking iron, and then combining the thread, and, yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, and, and they, they go together. They go together really closely, like thread gauge and yeah. and thread length, like or the sorry stitch length. Um, yeah, it's a it's a balance for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I got these um these random questions. This is I think this is this is the first time I've ever done it. So okay, um, if they're cringy, I think the people will let me know. But I think that's what they meant. <laughs> that's what they're meant to be. So. Okay. See how it goes. I might do it for other people, but yeah, you're the prototype for this. So, yeah, okay. So, so tell me a story. Tell me a story where you laughed really hard. Where I laughed really hard. Yeah. I, I tend to laugh pretty hard at at a lot of things. Yeah. Um, this is this is pretty off topic, but my my brother and I are <clears throat> we're, we're working on a, on a car at the moment. And uh, it's it was somebody else's project, and uh, and some of the stuff that you see when you're when you're looking at like other people's work, um, it 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 just it boggles the mind, and it's also hilarious at the same time. Yeah. But uh, I've I have laughed uncontrollably at some of the moments that, that we've had working on that thing. Mm. It's such yeah, an interesting yeah. uh like it's a trade where. Like when you see all what like what another craftsman like another work has done, um, yeah, you, you can really see. Yeah, like if, if they're like stuff in tin foil and stuff, <laughs> or like, just like really sketchy wiring, and or uh, I, I don't know, they just like clamp wires between bolts and zip zip ties. I remember. Oh like... yeah, zip yeah zip ties. Are... They hold like that's the thing, you know. You try and pull one of them undone. <laughs> yeah, no, you'll you'll break the part before you break the zip tie. Yeah, so, so, um, have you ever been stuck in an elevator? No, I have not. No, um, <laughs> have you been stuck in an? Nah, elevator? like when I when I was growing up, I, I I was so terrified of elevators. Like I just yeah. even to this day, it's like if, if there's stairs, I'll just take the stairs. Like any any day. Yeah, I tend to always take the stairs as well. It's just. Uh... I don't want to wait for elevators, and it's just. But like, even in, if even if I'm in one today, it's like, do you know when like it sort of it goes and it sort of like goes up and down to stop? It's like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. It's the uh, a historical job you would have liked to do, a job from history. I think if yeah, I think if if I could choose anything, it would, it would either be, um, it would either be a race mechanic from like you know, the sixties or, or a race car driver from the sixties. I think those, yeah. those are the two coolest jobs to me. And it was, it was like, it was so small time. Like, like you look at F1 in, in the, in the fifties and sixties and it was just like these, these dinky little like race car teams with a couple mm-hmm. of mechanics. And like, you know, often it was one guy doing a lot of the stuff, but yeah. he was designing the car or building it or. Uh... I, I love like the, uh, that in like that innovation in like the early like twentieth century, it's like let's make a plane. Oh, let's just stick like a, a Rolls Royce V twelve engine in a plane and see yeah, how that exactly. goes. Like, yeah, just push the envelope. And there you go. There's a there's a spit there's a Spitfire for you. And it's like they just grab like that full like brute force mechanics and just like stick it in something and just like yeah, yeah we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was like uh, like Grand Prix racing in the 30s was just unreal. Like some of the stuff they were doing, just like horsepower that that was just not even 
that it didn't match the tires or the brakes yeah. or the chassis until yeah. like another until like another forty years. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. What was the what was the last present you got for someone? Last present I got. Um, I guess the one that I can think of relatively clearly. It's it's nothing spectacular, but I I uh, my sister is obsessed with her cats, so um. So I decided to make her sticky notes with, with pictures of her cats all over them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Pretty good drawer. Drawer. Uh, well, I, I did it. I did it digitally, so I, I just oh, yeah. edited some photos and uh, I yeah. put together like a sticky note design, which I submitted to a printing company, and they just produced a bunch of. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. St- sticky note pads. Oh, it had a cat on it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. You were away. Where, where, did you, where did you have to go? Oh, um, so I, I've my my parents' house is uh, is a few hours away from here, and uh, that's that's actually where the the car is that my brother and I are, are working oh, on. Yeah. So I, I tend to go back there to finish something, and when we get parts in, we'll, we'll go in and work on it. Yeah. Uh, what car are you? Say. What car is it? It's a '74 Stingray Corvette. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. so that's that's been pretty pretty time consuming. I mean, you yeah. could easily just uh, you could easily lose all of your time and probably all of your money uh, working on old cars. How much left do you have to do of it? Well, the last time I was there, we actually had it uh, um, plated and we got it on the road, so it's it's officially like roadworthy and totally legal to drive wow. which in ontario i guess is kind of a big deal because here in canada it's just like the amount of rules that they have yeah, in place the they, they basically make it impossible for you to, to really do this stuff um, yeah it's really hard yeah so, yeah it's uh it's roadworthy now there's just a few other little details to take care of and other issues that are sort of popping up just as you drive it on the yeah. highway, things is, that weren't obvious when it was sitting around. But is it? It's yeah. a it's a V eight, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually a, a big block, um, one of the rarer um, variants of that car, mm-hmm. four hundred fifty four cubic inches. Where did you um? So when you when you got it, what sort of shape was it in? Um, it it's it ran really bad. Um. It was kind of, it was somebody else's project, and they they kind of. Uh, it seems like all they really wanted to do was was slap some high performance parts on the engine and call it a day. So the interior was a hundred percent like non functional, like yeah. stuff inside just wasn't working. It was all like kind of smashed up, and yeah. Um, so we ended up redoing the entire interior. Um, we rewired most of it, uh, got everything working, and. Um, rewired the whole engine bay, took care of a bunch of engine-related issues, uh, ignition problems and fuel delivery and yeah. all that stuff. Um, Does it's that... not, not, a, not a huge amount of stuff, but like it, it, it's just all these small details and yeah. things that, that need to be working for it to be legal. Like They're, uh, they're very relatively simple systems uh yeah especially in the engine bay um they're they're pretty solid motors yeah 
does um does that have aircon and airbags or not? Uh, definitely no airbags. Um, yeah. The car the car originally had uh, air conditioning, and then um, the guy that wanted to make it go fast uh, decided to uh, rip all of it out, just toss it. So there's a lot of stuff that is just gone, <clears throat> and we've been slowly uh, relocating parts from from wreckers and uh, um, people that deal in. Uh, OEM parts or um, even reproduction stuff definitely back in it's a, it's a bit of a mess I like cars when they're like stock and untouched you know you'll get like someone who'll get yeah. a Toyota Supra and then they'll just like shred the whole thing and make it a drag car it's like no it's yeah. just like <clears throat> just leave it like it's 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 fun if the thing wasn't really valuable to begin with um, yeah but if, if, if it's if it's a if it's a big block Corvette, I mean they're they're not very common, and uh, it's definitely going to be worth a lot more if you maintain its its originality. Yeah. <clears throat> like when you start when you start modifying it, like you can pour as much money as you want into making it like you know a modern vehicle, but you're you're ultimately losing money. Yeah. Um, if that's the way you want to look at it, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, for us, we, we just, we wanted to function like a real vehicle, which it wasn't when we got it, so, like, like I want to get in there and have everything work, like, I want lights, I want to, I want gauges that work, like, it, yeah. I want it to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, does it have those, like, do you know when you turn on the, like, your back window's foggy, and you turn on the heater and it, like, does it have those lines in the back yeah, window? Yeah, Okay, um, yeah. That was funny around. enough. This is actually a um, a thing for these old cars for, for the Corvette. A very rare option for a rear window defogger, which which our car actually has. Yeah. Funny. That's don't cool. I, I I don't know when. Like I don't I don't plan on driving this uh, beyond the fall. Um, so I don't think I'll, I'll ever actually make use of it. But it does work now. So yeah. Did you also have like that chrome bar, or is it just? Wait, let me just. Uh, no, so those were um, ours is a '74, and that was actually the first year that they totally got rid of the chrome bumpers. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. So chrome bumpers were '73, and uh, I guess all the way back to '68. Yeah. Well, that is a very '60s thing to have, like chrome everything. <clears throat> yeah, totally. It was it was starting to go out of fashion, I guess, by the time the '70s uh, it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Because like, a lot of, um, like, I'm not sure, you know, Holden's in Australia, mm-hmm. like, use, yeah. a, use a lot of um, GM GM um, engines and all that, like the LS. Yeah. LS, LS1, I think that's in the V-Wire Commodore, I think. My brother had, like, a V... VSS. Let's see what engine that had in it. That had the it's a six liter. I can't. Oh, there's so many variants okay. now. From yeah, <clears throat> I, I I don't know too much about uh, about the more modern uh, LS motors. Oh, okay, but, yeah. Uh, I I know they're very popular and they're very cheap and they're easy to just you know yeah you can make a lot of power with them for yeah. Uh, yeah. You have to send me a picture of the uh like the Corvette or something. Oh yeah, for sure. I'll, I got that's tons all, of pictures. That's awesome. And it's yeah. good that you have it in red as well. It's like, 
even even the interior is red. It's like everything's red. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, thanks, Nabil, for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure to be here.